Hi, everybody. I'm Peter Travers. Welcome to Popcorn, where we tell you what is popping in the culture. And there's a show now called Brockmire. You can see it on IFC. And I'm saying to you that you sh- not just that you should see it, but that I'm doing you a favor by saying you've got to see it. Uh, my guest, Hank Azaria, is here. He's, you know, he's got like 2,000 Emmys. I know. He's, you know, so much, so successful. But this is a character, I think, that goes in the time capsule. This character is one of the best creations I've ever seen in any kind of medium, and it made me laugh consistently, and at the same time, it made me feel, oh, you know, this is a real person. He hurts, too. So watch it, and also... Welcome, Hank Thank you. Well, that was great. We're never going to top that. So that no, was, we'll top it. Oh, no, mic drop. You kinda. could do it. As it was just like... And yeah. I can tell, by the way, folks, I can tell from years in show business <laughs> when somebody genuinely means it. And he did. <laughs> he really loved the show. So I thank you very love much. that show. Thank it you. was a point in it where, you know, you're great in it. Amanda, is, Amanda Pete is, is really good in it. And the writing in it is just sensationally yeah. good. There was a line that he says... Um, because Brockmire, as you'll explain, that Jim Brockmire, a man who, Jim, a baseball announcer who, that's it, with that voice, with this voice, this golden-throated <laughs> kind of voice that I remember, especially from the '70s, this deep, charismatic, just kind of—I don't know why this was the voice, but I got obsessed with it as a mimic growing up. That was what did it. And well, what's, the, what's the line that hit you, Peter? Well, there are many, but the one that got me, maybe because it was the mood I was in, where he says, you know, a waves of depression are approaching high tide in my body, you know, and he's feeling all of that. Yeah. And I also love how he, all alone, you know, on a street corner in Marstown, Pennsylvania, if it exists, will talk about himself in the third person yeah. and say, Brockmeyer's very disturbed. It's a man who processes his emotions. That's one of the things we found funny about the character way back. Well, you create, you started him with Funny or Die? Yes. It was an idea that was ruminating literally since I was a teenager, imitating these voices that Mm -hmm. I heard and wondering if they always sounded this way. Did they go, you know, besides on the air and giving the, saying whatever they wanted as long as they give the count afterwards. Man, I am tired. I spent most of last night with local law enforcement and the, Filipino hooker named Le Weiwei as Johnson swings and misses at a breaking ball 0-2. So, yeah. No, no, it's seamless. flows right, yeah. right into it. There. I always yeah. found it, you know, because I'm just always listening to the sounds people are making mm-hmm. as an extraordinarily weird way to express oneself. And I wondered if, uh, if they sounded that way at home, you know, with the wife, you know, honey, what's for dinner? But also, did they, did they dirty talk sex that way? Which, if you watch the series, you'll see that Brockmeyer does. And then we're like, well, what would justify a guy announcing everything? And it's probably the way he emotionally processes things um, and, and just enjoys the sound of his own voice. So, and I do that. Listen, I love this voice. I'll, and at home sometimes I'll just narrate my breakfast, you know. As would you? you oh, yeah. Doing like, let's see. I don't, I'm not feeling eggs this morning. Maybe some oatmeal. Oh, no, no. I'm going to reach for the Greek yogurt. Haven't done that in quite a while with the raspberries and I'll get a little flaxseed on top. That must be fun for your wife. (laughs) (laughs) But we hit a point in our marriage. I I find this hilarious, too. Uh, Many of my friends have experienced this with their wives, where at first that stuff draws a lot of laughter, right, in the honeymoon phase. Oh, yeah, then it's over. You're annoying Then then you get annoying, and then you get an eye roll, right, Mm -hmm. or two. And then there's nothing. But this is what cracks you up. Nothing. As if you didn't even say anything. I'll just go, hey, honey, I'm going with the eggs this morning. How about that? Nothing. 
As if nothing was said, not even acknowledging <laughs> my existence. <laughs> he's doing that. Soon he'll go to work. Exactly. She <laughs> right? If she's going to react to everything, mm-hmm. stupid thing that comes out of my mouth, she's going to waste too much energy. But, Hank, the, the thing about when you create a character, I mean, you know, you're a man of a thousand voices. Simpsons has been on forever. I, I'm only half teasing about the thousand Emmys, but you've, you've won like four for that, right? I think I've won actually three thousand Emmys. I've won a four for the Simpsons. And uh, two for other television. Tuesdays work. with Maury, Tuesdays which with is a really good—I mean—dramatic performance with Jack Lemmon. Yeah, you know that was something. And then one other Emmy, which you won for Ray Donovan. Yeah, just last I year. I love yeah. that character because he didn't have a single lovable quality. <laughs> he was so unlovable that he flipped back over he into did. lovable somehow. You just yeah. hated him even when he was up and when he was down, and yet he was human. And that's what Brockmire is. We should set it up just a little for what the first show is, because he's, he's basically, well, set that up for us. He's, uh, again, Jim Brackman. I'll describe it as Jim Brackman. He's the voice of Kansas City. He's doing great. He's the man in Kansas City. And uh, one day, calling the game 10 years ago, 2007, walks in on his wife, quite accidentally, in uh, flagrante delecto, as he would put it, with a bunch of people. He freaks out. He got, normally is the kind of guy that have three, four beers. He had that, but plus a, about a bottle of Sazerac rye as well. And in a blackout drunk starts, basically outs his wife and expresses a lot of rage and upset and melts down on the air. Imagine my surprise when I walked into my living room and discovered, oh, about a half a dozen naked folks engaged in what can be described only as a desperate and a hungry kind of a lovemaking. As Pedro <laughs> delivers a slider into the dirt, one and oh. So he still calls the game. He calls and the it, game. It, it, it reaches a crazy frenetic crescendo with people banging on the door. He's locked himself in the booth, and he flips out. And uh, the series picks up 10 years later. He's been out of baseball. He's been traveling the world. But he's dying to get back into baseball. He gets the opportunity with Amanda Peet's bottom-of-the-barrel independent league, excuse me, minor league team. The and Frackers. The Frackers, the Morristown Frackers. frackers. It's, there's only two industries left in Morristown, and that's fracking and the crystal meth industry. <laughs> And uh, again, treated rather realistically, mm-hmm. um, even though it's no, sad. No, it's a crummy town. It's sad and funny <laughs> at the same time. Oh, it's a horrible smelling place because <laughs> of the runoff. It's just an, it's an awful place. <laughs> and uh, he thinks everyone's forgotten by now. It's like, I figured 10 years ago, I'm just a joke that everybody forgot about. She's like, are you kidding? And he's like, what are you talking about? He's Winnebago Man. He's Grape Stomp Lady. He's, uh, it's become a viral video. He's more, he's a meme. He's known for this. That lives forever. Forever. And, which is news to him and not good news to him. And that's where the series starts. I could see it in you. Sometimes you see an actor playing a part where they look just as happy as you are when <laughs> yeah. you're watching it. Yeah. You do it. And you're feeling that. Yes. And, and it's new. You know, and we're going to, I hope, see it for many seasons. Well, at least get one more. Yeah. yeah. But here you are on a show like The Simpsons doing voices since when? Since the beginning of the dawn of television time. 1988. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. That's when that started. Is that still alive for you? Because the show is. Oh, yeah. I love doing it. It's, I was really uh, born to do that. That's the correct use of Is my skill really set. It? Were you always this kid that was doing voices? Yes, I didn't realize until uh, I was a young adult that that meant I really wanted to do that professionally and it was a marketable skill and that, that kind of mimicry. And even when I realized I wanted to be an actor, which wasn't until I was like in college, I still didn't even connect up that mimicry could be a big part of that. They seemed like separate skills. 
But then, you know, the Simpsons, whether I liked it or not, certainly married those two skills. Who was the first Simpsons character you did? Mo, the bartender Mo. That's a little Al Pacino in there. I was doing a play at the time. I was playing a drug dealer, and I was doing a sort of Pacino from Dog Day Afternoon. You know, I'm, I'm dying here. Everybody's coming down on me. And um, I auditioned that as the voice of Mo, and they said we want it to be gravelly. And if you take Dog Day Afternoon Pacino and you make him gravelly, you get Mo. <laughs> he was a re- I didn't know that. He, uh, the first few years of the show, he was much higher. Mo was m- kind of more up here. And then as my voice deepened over the years, he got more here, I guess. <laughs> yes, he did, but he's still... Oh, he, I love him. <laughs> you do. I may be the only one. No, you're, it's, it's everybody. Well, I love Mo getting his publicly. phone calls at the bar. Privately, though, the man don't get no love. Oh, Literally. This is he's sad lonely. things that you're telling us now. Well, uh, it's well documented. <laughs> the man wants to kill himself every five seconds. So, so, wait, so those guys are happy with your Mo. At the Simpsons? Yes. Right. They say, uh, yeah. 29 so they years say, later, yeah. do more. Well, then the next week, it was very casual, the whole thing. I auditioned for Mo, uh, for Sam Simon, the late Sam Simon, and, mm-hmm. and Matt Groening. And they were like, that sounds, they were like, that sounds good. Can you come record it? I'm like, now? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I just strolled over with them at the Fox lot and recorded it. And I was like, okay, bye. And then I thought that was it. Then the next week, uh, they were like, hey, do you do, uh, there's a policeman, kind of a fat police chief. I was like, okay. And I did a sort of David Brinkley impression. Wiggum is... is he started out different. I kind of did a David Brinkley. He was sort of doing a press conference. I said, maybe this kind of sounds like a way to be officious and important. Like, <laughs> speed it up. And somehow, if you speed up David Brinkley, somehow you get Chief Wiggum. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Which, it's really more of a bad Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> or rather, Mel Blanks. <laughs> version of impression of Edward G. Robinson that I am now imitating. You think, yeah, and then when, when does Apu come into That's this? week three. Week three. Week three, you get Apu. They, <laughs> literally, that's actually really, that's true. the next week. It was, can you do an Indian accent? I was like, I guess so. I don't know. I can toss one out there if you like. Like, good, good. Uh, he says, he's a 7-Eleven clerk. Go record. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Yes, let, let, let's roll the, the tape. And... Um, <laughs> By the way, Sam Simon was directing them all back then. Mm-hmm. I was very young. I was 23. It was maybe my actual third job in show business, I think, really? or something. And I didn't know what I was doing, Peter. I really, really didn't. I, had, I, I was very green. And after every take, Sam would make this face. He'd go... Um, and he would spoon-feed <laughs> me sort of the rhythms and the line readings. And I was sure each week was going to be my last. I had no contract. I was just week to week. It's a wonderful feeling. <laughs> Do they really like it? I, I can't I, tell. Yeah. I, was, I was thrilled to be there and learning. And there's James L. Brooks, by the way, standing mm-hmm. there. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and then it, but I was genuinely surprised each week when they called me to come back. And it kind of grew. And then by the middle of the second season, I really learned, especially learned Dan Castellaneta, who does Homer Mm -hmm. and many others, and Harry Shearer, who does Mr. Burns and Smithers and Flanders and many others. I very much paid attention to what they were doing and and learned a lot. Do you do it together with them or is it all separately, the voice? In those days, yes. The first 10, 15 years of the show, we were almost always together. The last 10 to 15 years, We've been, more, especially Harry and I, Harry lives in New Orleans and London. I've chosen to move to New York. And so we're often. You're separate. back in New York, Queens yeah. boy. Oh, yeah. Back, 
I want to raise a little Mets fan, Peter. That's it. You got to have that. Yeah, I need support in my old age for this because this is not a happy. It's all right right now, but it's about to get special, bad again. What's his name, your son? Hal. Hal. So is do you do voices for him? Sure. Is he does. He does. He. You have special ones for him. You know. Listen, every voice that I can possibly do has been mined on The Simpsons, so there's nothing new. Nothing. You can have anything. No, I, just, I cast children's books with Simpsons characters for him. Well, that has to be great. Uh, he doesn't know what's going on. You're doing Goodnight Moon as Mo? Not Goodnight Moon so much, <laughs> no. But like wizard, like character, things that lend them to like Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. We read a lot of the Frank Oz. Uh, the um, Frank Oz. <laughs> a lot of the Frank Baum no. Wizard of Oz no. books. And so, like, Mo was, I believe Mo was, I believe Mo was the Tin Man. And uh, Carl, for some reason, was, from The Simpsons, was a cowardly lion. And, uh, oh, no, I did, who played the Tin Man in the movie, the wonderful guy, uh, wonderful uh, actor? Jack Haley. Jack Haley. Yeah. I actually did a, I love that voice from the movie. <laughs> I did a pretty decent Jack Haley as the Tin Man. And Mo, but Mo is somebody else. How's your Judy Garland, I wonder? Not great. <laughs> it's hard for me to know. I, you know, all, little girls are always just like, you know, hi. You know, they're just like a bad Monty Python version of a woman. Yeah. Monty Python, though, has to be one of your... Oh, my come God. On. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was a revelation. Because when you did Spam on Broadway, you know, that was another thing where you had to have that love of that. I used to sit oh. at that and there would be people who didn't understand why so many of us were cracking up, you know. No, it was, I mean, the, I, Brockmeyer for me now is my favorite, I mm-hmm. think, I've ever done. But before that, it was Spam a lot. When I was 11, Monty Python came to PBS in America. Same year, right within six months of when SNL premiered. Mm-hmm. And those two things blew my brains out. I didn't realize at the time that I was a budding, you know, comedic actor. All I knew was that changed my worldview so profoundly. And, you know, I said, the first day rehearsing Spamalot, I said, guys, I've been off book on Holy Grail since I was approximately 15 years old. So I'm, I'm ready to go here. Whatever. I'll play every role you want me to play. I can do it. I, that's true. I was delighted to be a part of that. But you also are an actor, to me, first and foremost. You couldn't do this and make it more than an impression, which you always do. There's something always behind the voice. So what goes on with you in that duality? Do you say to yourself, I wanna, I'm going to do this. It's a completely serious performance. And then over here, I'm going to have fun with it. Because I think in Brockmire, those both qualities are in one show. Um, thank you. I, it, it's... I've talked a bunch about this recently in some interviews about this process. I love mm-hmm. analyzing the process of acting. I know not everybody does, but um, I'm a mimic at heart. I started out almost purely as a mimic on the one hand, and, uh, and I really became an actor. I didn't realize this at the time because I did not want to be myself. I wanted to be other people. I wanted mm-hmm. to be my heroes like Woody Allen and Pacino and De Niro and Steve Martin or George Carlin or whoever. And then got into, and, and was pretty good and was working and got The Simpsons and was doing that. Um, got into an acting class with a wonderful man who's no longer with us either named Roy London. Yeah. Who, his whole message was, he would never let me do a voice or even be very funny. He said, I want to see you. He said, I hate to break this to you. You literally said this, but if you want to be a really great actor, you have to actually reveal yourself to people. You, know, you have to tell tales on yourself, but you need to... The people who 
are very successful, are willing to, while cameras rolling, be themselves. Mm -hmm. And I ran into a big block with that, Peter, because I, I, I didn't realize this. I had to go into therapy a little bit. I had a very deep-seated uh, belief that who I was was not interesting. And so I have sort of had to address that personally and professionally. And, and, and when I did that, I found that my, even my voices on The Simpsons got funnier. Uh, like instead of just, you know, thinking how it would be funny for Police Chief Wiggum to deliver a line, I also added in, well, how would I, as Hank, if I were a cop, really handle this? You know, if a, if a kid were, if I caught a kid breaking mm -hmm. into a store or whatever. And it made things a little more real and a little funnier. And it certainly, I don't think without Roy, I would have been able to do that in the birdcage. Um, uh, I wouldn't have been able to do what you just described, which is deepening these vocal tricks into actual people. Yeah, you do that. And yet, when you were starting, you were in these movies with, I mean, you're in the heat. Yeah. So you have a scene with Al Pacino. Yeah. So what was that like? When you're just starting out and doing that, what, how are you approaching somebody that's an idol of yours? I was terrified. I couldn't believe what I was... I mean, listen, that was, I shot that, the scene where Al screams, Gratis! into my face, mm -hmm. which has become sort of, not my part of it, but Al's part of it has become quite iconic. Um, that was my 30th birthday. It happens to be Al's 30th birthday as well, mm -hmm. the same birthday. And then I went straight to the birdcage set and shot, I actually ended up shooting uh, 24 hours straight on my 30th birthday. And so I went from Al Pacino to Robin Williams and Gene Hackman and I was I, and Mike Nichols. And that's not, yeah. not Mike Nichols. And I, uh, I was kind of quietly freaking out. And if, if Mike uh, Nichols weren't looking out for me on that movie and uh, he thought what I was doing was funny mm -hmm. and he kind of made sure I had a lane, you know, to proceed in. Um, and I, 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 I think about that and how grateful I am to Mike. He also put me in spam a lot. It took me many years to be able to do for myself what Mike did for me on that movie. Do you know what I mean? Like be able to sort to of... To basically tell yourself it was okay. Yeah, yeah, and to trust what I was doing and find my own way and make it fresh for myself. And that's why my, part of why Mike was so great. He did that for everybody, mm -hmm. you know, and it's harder to do it yourself. This is the first time you've been on this show. I hope it's the first of a lot of times. I hope so, you know, too. They're, they're calling to take I've you away. I've seen the show, though. Is this uh, real popcorn? It's, it is real. Can a person eat it? Or you maybe? can eat it. You can? Yeah, it's early in the Has morning. Anybody ever, it hasn't been sitting it, right? under... They, people have thrown it at me. Really? Yeah. That seems hostile. It well, was. There's sometimes hostility. Oh, but good. since it's the first, you don't know that we end in song always. I did not know that. No. So no? now you do. But wow. I'm, you're fearless now. <laughs> well, There's oh, nothing boy. where you don't. put that to the test, no, don't No, I mean... Go back to The Wizard of Oz that you're reading for your son. Mm -hmm. Can you sing something from that as one of the voices that you love? I, I have much more confidence singing as my weirdo characters than as mm -hmm. myself. Chief Wiggum has a decent singing voice. So let's go with... Okay, <coughs> Wiggum. Somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue, much like my uniform. <coughs> uh, next line... <laughs> There's a land, land that I heard of once in a lullaby. <laughs> Someday I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me. Where troubles melt. I had no idea I knew all this. <laughs> you troubles do. melt like lemon drops away above the chimney tops. That's where y'all Find me. Oh. Yeah, Wiggum likes this song because it's got Chief, candy in it. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Chief Wiggum was really keeping it Brockmire. Oh, he was. And I you know, really like that. Hank, 
A Thank pleasure. You. A pleasure. It really was. Thank it you. It was.